0: to be, but we, more than that, we really appreciated mm-hmm. that. And in Was over with. Not long after going, closed, that was quite challenging for all of the people, missionary. So when we would come back on home. Last year, back to us. In 2020. We just want to say how. Guys. opening your arms to welcoming. Here, and Often as we can. Often as. On us. Um, and sorry. <laughs> yeah, and so thank you. So would say in that we but quite a nothing on but trees and grass, and so God did take remote location it was remote but full remote but in the middle of that remoteness God Human center, run by an NGO. Human used to come there from far and wide, and I be I I made friends, welcomed. Also there they taught craft, which one of my passions. How how great was that that God allowed me to share Bible stories. Use my passion of craft, For crocheting, making beaded jewelry belts, and that God was so good in allowing that. So I built relationships with women there. We called cooking darkness Really big overarching and then we would unpack that uh, through being little, and as it often goes in Africa,, not the way you planned, and so I didn't left I didn't get to those stories. I prayed about what I could share. I put on my heart to share. So, about four weeks before, And about three days, 12 women left three after those women gave those names. Continuing to pray for them, work that God has It doesn't need me to be devil weight. I was really thankful to be involved um, in that ministry. And another close. We started going by two. English, as also said in the video, that. We saw teacher Charles's after Chris shared the kingdom. Voice really died no more. So it was just. Okay. Thank you for your class and now it's my turn.
1: I don't have notes, never finish. If I have notes, we'll finish. But yeah, just to to the risk of repeating words, thank you so much to the congregation that's here today, the congregation members who maybe are not here today, maybe watching or hear this later. Thank you very, very much for your support for, for since, I think, 2009, late 2009 or early 2010. Fellowship Baptist has been um, financial supporters, and I know some of you in the congregation have been prayer supporters even before that, so we can't say thanks enough. There's an African proverb that says, alone I can go quickly, but together we can go far. So I think it's better we try to go far. Well, the message this morning is going to come from the book of Acts chapter 14, and what I'm, what I'm trying to do, what I'm attempting to do is raise some points that I believe come out of the text um, and sprinkle some of our experiences in there. So I'd like you to make your own application, you to make, to see how does this flesh out in in my life, in my my world, in my circle of friends, <coughs> in my network? Um but the question is that I'm posing to everyone this morning is: What will it take to see a world that knows God? Or what will it? What? What will it take to see a world that knows? Lord Jesus, that's the open question that I have this morning. So I missed the opportunity. I I had the opportunity, but I missed it to ask someone else to read this. So let's read Acts chapter 14, just the first seven verses. But the The message essentially comes from the whole chapter. But we're just going to look mostly at the first seven verses. Are we good to go? Now, at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided, some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we can be here. Thank you that we have your word and that your word has been translated into so many languages around the world, including the Didinga, at least part of the Bible. Lord, I ask you this morning that your Holy Spirit would speak into our lives, into our hearts, into our minds, that you would help us to gather our thoughts and to focus and to be focused by you on whatever it is that you want to say to us this morning. Meet our needs, Lord, our spiritual needs, and help us, each one of us, to continually cast ourselves and our cares upon you. We know that you care for us. Lord, we're your children. Feed us this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. This Jesus that I'm talking about is the one whom, in whom all the fullness of the Godhead was pleased to dwell. Is this a Jesus that the world needs to hear? Is this a, is this a Jesus that the world needs to know? I'm getting a few nods. Slowly, we'll okay. Uh-huh. No problem, no problem. Is this the Jesus and the one who, of whom Paul wrote The one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Does the world need to know this, Jesus? And at the risk of time, and the one who is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and who upholds the universe by the word of his power. What will it take to see a world that knows this, Jesus? Well, we live in a, in times of uncertainty. We live in times that are like being, there's so much upheaval. Yeah? That's the world I find myself living in. I walked into a room last week where there were some men, men that I, I know them, and I said, isn't God, isn't life, I didn't say God, I said, isn't life good? You know, life's good. The looks were blank, like. What? And I, so I thought they didn't understand me. I changed, Maybe I had a dud accent. So I said, "Life's oh, good, isn't it?" I didn't get one affirming nod. Or I just got like, "Who is this guy?" Huh? I'm sorry. You know, I lost my mum last month, and but life is still good. You know, and and even more, God is good. You know, all the time God is God. God is good. You know, this 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 saying. Last year we came out of the bush to the develop back to the developed world. Well, we came back to lockdown. We were out of our two-week quarantine for two weeks and in, we went to locked up in our own houses in this developed world. Now I'm not I'm not here to object to that. I'm just it seems like a a bit crazy we came out of the bush only to be locked in our own yards, in our own houses, like, like a dog, kind of, you know. I, I went outside the gate once and wheeled a trolley up the road with a cupboard from where we had it stored somewhere around the corner, and a week later the police showed up. I wasn't there, by the grace of God. Fiona was. We heard that we've been told, someone called Crime Stoppers that someone was, from here was moving Furniture wow, the world has gone nuts. But much more than that, you know, values, long-held values that have held society together are being torn down, are being eroded, are being, they're under militant attack. so-called civilised world that I came back to, that we came back to, seems somehow less, less civilised than before. And Christians are finding themselves increasingly marginalised. Can you identify with that? Because that's, what I, that's, that's how I'm seeing it or perceiving it. The Christian story is becoming less familiar. I want to read you a short story. Uh, sorry, just a, a few lines that about the fact that Christian symbols or so-called Christian symbols are no longer recognised. This little story from England from a book I've just been reading. It goes like this. Walking past a church building on the way to school, a young boy asked his mother, who the figure was on a, on a crucifix. She didn't know, and she, later at the school's coffee time, she asked if anyone else did. Are we together? One out of 25 people could, could, knew the answer. That tells me something that we can expect to be on the margins. Our experience in the bush, where there is less influence from the outside, um... Shows that peace, shalom, Amohoro, whatever we call it, has been elusive and remains elusive. From what I read, the most dangerous place in the world is still Eastern Congo, Eastern DRC, right up next to Rwanda, where we were for 10 years. And it's the most dangerous place, apparently, especially for women and children. The East African um, newspaper headlined recently that 29 million, and I think this number has increased significantly, but 29 million apparently East Africans currently face hunger due to drought and insecurity. Intercommunal violence in the region where we were in South Sudan for the last two years, intercommunal violence, uh, ICV, is just... Crazy, it's just, it's there, it's just part of normal life. Which, but unfortunately, tends to result in more hunger, more poverty, more internally displaced people, more refugees. But there is an answer and we've got the answer. I hope we've got the answer because the UN doesn't have the answer. There is another way that is without guns. It's without spears and bows and arrows that you've got some examples of up there. It's without grenades. You saw Ellie in the picture holding an old grenade there. God wants to be known. God wants us to know him. God wants to be known. And Jesus came that we could know God. So what will it take to see a world that knows God or knows the Lord Jesus? As we begin with this text, we've got the two characters here and the first, first line we see, they, this personal pronoun, they. This is Paul and Barnabas. Back in chapter 11, Barnabas is referred to as a good man. You know, to have that on your as an epitaph on your, on your headstone, you know, he was a good man. That's pretty big, I think. Full of the Holy Spirit, and faith. So I think he was full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. That's a good man. And Paul, this Paul or Saul, who was the former Pharisee, he was the zealous guy. He was the Now Paul finds himself as a divinely chosen instrument to make Jesus known. In chapter nine, we see that. So these two men have been set apart and they've been sent out. And they've begun what we call Paul's first missionary journey. So before reaching, but before reaching today's text, chapter 14, Barnabas and Saul have had quite an eventful time already. They've been to Antioch where they were given the opportunity to proclaim Jesus. And many believed. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. But sure as God made little green apples, something happened that resulted in them being run out of town, being, yeah, run out of town where they ultimately shook the dust off their feet as a as a sign, as a symbol, and went on to Iconium, where we take up today's story. I looked up on Google, where is Iconium, where was Iconium, and it's a, uh, a city in Turkey today with a population of more than 2 million. Um, I think it's a couple of hours' drive from Istanbul, I think, and it's known as Konya. And it's, it's on the desirable places to visit, if you like to travel in that part of the world. In Acts chapter 14, I think we can see a pattern, a pattern for how the world can know Jesus. The first will be proclamation. We can't get around that. We can do good, we can be good, we can be full of faith, we can be zealous, but we have to proclaim. That has to be in somewhere. Paul and Barnabas have arrived at Iconium. What did they do? Luke records here they went into the synagogue and they spoke in or spoke in such a way that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed people responded to the spoken message. There was a context, obviously, but people responded to the spoken message that was all about agriculture. It was all about Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, modern missionaries, um, you know, today I can confess we aren't always invited into the synagogue. Have you heard of BAM or Business As Mission? Some of you, I know you will have. But Business As Mission is is, is, an incre- is being used or utilised increasingly to allow people, to allow servants of God to get in behind borders that are otherwise closed. Work permits, like visas for missionaries. We've been on missionary visas um, in open countries, in Rwanda for 10 years and South Sudan for two years. The governments have been open to missionaries because they see, uh, ultimately, that the potential for good is there for their people, and usually missionaries bring money as well, and that's a that is a consideration. So, but we usually aren't invited into the speak in the in the temple or the synagogue or or the mosque. We have to be more creative. Business as mission is is one to go into these creative access countries. We've got, we have friends who work in these closed access countries. Yeah, they're in business, they're, in, they're technicians, they're using their skills to, to get themselves, to find themselves on the front line in places that otherwise there's no one talking about, or certainly no one openly talking about the Lord Jesus. So much so that in places where some of our friends work, they can't even tell us. We might know through other means, but they can't even tell us where they work. So, other platforms include education, medical professionals, um, community development, government contracts, etc. Um, to overcome the 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 resistance or the barrier of of getting a permit, getting permission to even be in the country. Um, that hasn't been a problem for us yet, but it requires living and working in a in a host community and learning to be a belonger, wanting to be a belonger, learning the ways of the host culture, which means learning the language. Ultimately, if we really want to belong, because through language we, you know, language and culture are kind of bed friends, they're bedfellows. But Jesus will, and Jesus must, ultimately become the subject of our conversations. In Rwanda, our our involvement was at various levels in the community. I went, we went initially for me to to set up an English program, as a to help um, to help students who could speak English. Uh, sorry, could speak French to facilitate them coming into a degree level. Bible school program. That's, so when we were here, probably standing over there, over there, I think, um, 13 or so years ago, um, we were heading to Rwanda to teach English in a Bible college context. Uh, but how things evolved. Involvement at a, at a vocational training centre where Glenn even came and spent a few days um, teaching electrical skills there and helping even helped some, a couple of the guys to, to use those skills to go and earn a living, to help them provide for their families. Agriculture, that is certainly one of my passions, agriculture. And we planted a church, or that sounds arrogant. I feel, I feel a degree of arrogance when I say, oh, we planted a church, but God used us in his planting of a, of a church in a village among a marginalised group of people and today that church goes on and yeah so all of our all of our, our ambition was always to have a platform and to help others to be able to proclaim this good news to the poor and for us even to be good news to the poor and the marginalized and to provide access to real people so that we could proclaim the Lord Jesus. There in Nagyshott for the last uh, for the last two years, we were living in those isolated Dinga Hills, two thousand meters above sea level, among an unreached people group. There was one little congregation in, in the area where we were, and then down in the lowlands, about a thousand meters down, there were a handful of of churches down there, plus a uh, quite big Catholic building down there as well but our roles were as church workers um but believe me there were many acts of mercy many acts of help um yeah you like like it would take a lot longer to explain and to tell you but to carry people to move to transport someone in a wheelbarrow can you imagine that that's the best you can do is to go and get the wheelbarrow and bundle this patient, this person who's nearly dead and did die in a wheelbarrow and transport them like that to the nearest clinic. Like yeah. But all of these all of these different approaches and these different angles allowed us to proclaim the Lord Jesus to real people. In an in an animistic culture, if you know what animism is. We worked on holding Bible storying groups in the community. Um, a team member, that, one of our team members, Margaret, who's in Melbourne now, back in Melbourne now, she is a midwife, um, a very, very experienced and skilled nurse midwife. So she was able to volunteer in, in the local community um, and she was, by the grace of God, able to train a very, very young midwife um, and help her improve her skills. Um, because it's a long way from any more help than is available there. Um, our, the three women on our team, we started with a team of six. We very soon became a team of four, one man and three women. The women reached out to the women and children in the community. Um, I did a lot of re- made a lot of repairs around the place, even repairs to the clinic to get... Imagine you're trying to... Has anyone delivered a child? Of someone else's child, I mean, okay, fine, okay. But you imagine doing this in a dark, a little, a little building like a garden shed kind of size in the pitch black of night, and you're, you're, you're a professional, professional, and you're trying to help, and you've got no lights, no, no, no lights, not even a candle, but you've got a telephone, you've got a mobile phone that you use, you can use if you walk an hour that way to a rock, and you can use the phone, but on that phone, you've got a torch So you put the torch in your mouth, so you try and deliver this baby, so you can see what's happening. you know, so we were able to pick some of the lights get a get some new batteries for their solar system. Yeah, it was good. We provided some roofing. Can you believe this? We provided some. There's a a long rectangular building that a oh, I'll come. Good, don't worry. A, th- a third of the roof blew off in in the wind. A third. When we got there in April 2019, a third was off already. The 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 corrugated iron is so thin, it's thinner it's like as as about the thickness of the A4 paper, seriously. So the nails have to have big heads on them to hold them, hold the sheets on. So we tried, we tried all manner all manner of different strategies to work with the community to get a roof back on their school. Because they couldn't use those classrooms when it rained, because they would just get drowned in there. And in the end we caved in and and we bought the iron sheets we got them flown in on a on on a flight and we had young people carry the school children come and carry them roll them up put a string around them and carry them across the five kilometer uh, through the valleys to get to the where the school was and i'll tell you today that was in 2020 that was september 2020 i think I can tell you today that their sheets of iron are still rolled up in storage. The school still hasn't got its roof on. Poverty. Poverty is not limited to material things. And, yeah, we modelled sustainable agriculture, conservation agriculture. Growing crops on, on hillsides, on steep hillsides, leads to... A number of things. One of those things is the, the quality of the soil just declines rapidly and so sustainable agriculture, conservation agriculture is, is probably my second or third most or strongest passion in my life. Um, we worked with, to some, to some extent we worked with some local farmers and a local agricultural trainer and tried to help there. But all of this Yeah, we care about people's hunger. We care about people's children and the the stomachs. We have to. If we don't, we can't really call ourselves followers of Jesus, to be sure. But all of this would give us a platform to also proclaim the Lord Jesus. Just like Paul went into the synagogue and proclaimed, and we know what happened next. We don't know how many believed. We really don't know how many believed. So we know that we need to proclaim. Paul did it. Others do, have done it. You've done it here. We need to proclaim the Lord Jesus. What else will it take for a world to know the Lord Jesus? Well, as sure as night follows day, persecution is the next thing on the list. You proclaim, go to a, any part of the world pretty much where Christ is not known and maybe even where he is known. Our focus is on unreached people groups, but you might be able to do it here. Go and proclaim. And again, the persecution will come. You saw here, we, we read about it. In, after proclamation, we have persecution. This opening verse, a great many believed. How encouraging is that? You read the book of Acts and it's exciting, all these stories and a great many believed. Hallelujah. And then comes the persecution. Verse 2, but. There's a but in the book of Ephesians that I really love. You know, how depraved we are and then but God, by the way. But this inevitable opposition came. Unbelievers were stirred up, poisoning the minds of, against Paul and Barnabas. You know, gossip and slander, these are the two nuggets that satan uses believe me i don't know if he uses them here gossip and slander but where we've worked gossip and slander are uh, these are so powerful weapons such they're fatal well in the message if you can forgive me for quoting from the message it goes like this about this uh what was being stirred up a whispering campaign against Paul and Barnabas, sowing mistrust and suspicion in the minds of the people in the street. This led to a divided community, two sides. Paul and Barnabas, they were men of God, they were sent with authority, they had authority. That in itself makes them targets for gossip and slander. That in itself makes them targets for the enemies of the gospel. In their case, the greatest source of resistance came from the religious quarter, How ironic is that? Many believed, but, verse 2, many believed, but the unbelieving Jews, well, they remained speaking boldly for the Lord. There were signs and wonders. We come to verse 4. There's another but, but. The people were divided. And again, having fled to Lystra, 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 forgive me if I pronounce things differently to you. In verse 19, there's another but. So the good happens, but. The good happens, but. Persecution follows proclamation. Our experience in Rwanda is a country I love so much. Planting a local church among a marginalised people, we didn't meet violent opposition like Paul and Barnabas. There was some opposition and there were some tense moments. There were accusations from time to time and there were lots of misunderstandings. Early on, uh, one day when we had some uh, really positive gatherings with a community, there were others who became jealous. And lo and behold, the next thing we find ourselves all being um, commanded to appear at the local immigration office. But we went on and were able to build relational trust, which is, like gold, and we had more freedom. Our experience in South Sudan, in Nagashat, well, we were never beaten up like Paul and Barnabas. We were never stoned um, like Paul. But there was opposition, yes. And some of that came from, where do you think? Some of it came from the religious quarter as well. Oh, but the church, but the church, even the local chief, Saying you've done nothing for the church, the church you need to build a building for the church, we need a church, and you've done nothing, etc. etc. But it didn't only come from the religious quarter again, gossip and slander, mistrust, unmet expectations. And when we left, when we left. Largely because our team, the life of our team was finished. Our team had agreed on a a certain period of time. And as I said, we started with six. After three months, we were down to four. And the four of us continued on. But our other two team members both had made commitments um, elsewhere for after that two years. And Nagishot was not a place that, that Fiona and I should stay on our own in fact it's probably not a place for any foreigners to stay just on their own um the loneliness the isolation the it really can get to you you know you've heard of people i heard a new term when i was there in called um cabin fever you know cabin fever i'd never heard of it before but i instantly identified what they realized what people were talking about and you can get cabin fever you know you're or maybe Forest fever or something. So it was hugely disappointing. When we left and we went down the mountain, we drove down the the, the women flew out on a on a little flight, a little Cessna. We had a, a one kilometer grass airstrip high up. Had to be a long such a long airstrip so the planes could get elevation because of the altitude and the air being so thin and the winds being so strong. Um so I drove out and another, I drove our vehicle out and, and another couple of missionaries came and drove another vehicle, which was the, the mission's old pickup, drove it out. And we went to see the commissioner, the highest authority in, in the region, the next morning. Well, he wasn't available and this went on for a couple of days and we were, we had to surrender the keys for our vehicles and put them in the police compound, down the mountain this is, and then wait. Wait and wait because the commissioner is coming, and and one thing after another, una- one thing on another. But all it was ultimately was a bit of a shakedown, as they call it, um, and they got some things out of us in order to, so that we would just agree to go. They got some nice solar batteries and a really big generator slash welder, like that takes like four men to lift onto the back of the truck. It's a big guy. So that was a, that was disappointing to say the least. But in the hope that the Didinga of the Uplands would know the Lord Jesus, we proclaimed and the opposition came. Did it hurt? You bet it did. Was it was it um confusing? You bet it's confusing. Because sometimes you can get you can get to a point your mind can play tricks on you and you don't even know who who's friend and who's foe. You know it really can get like that. Maybe that's the cabin for you kicking in. But, you know, Paul said to Timothy in another letter that all who desire to live godly or live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution or will be persecuted. What will it take to know a world that knows the Lord Jesus? It's going to take proclamation and we can be sure that it's going to take persecution. But it's going to take, in verse 6 and 7 we see, I'm taking this from verse 6 and 7, verses 6 and 7. It's going to take a pressing on. It's going to take a pressing on, a pushing on. Paul and Barnabas, when they learned of the plot against them, to beat them and to stone them, they got wind. The message came up the grapevine that you're going to get a hiding. They escaped. They escaped while they could. You know, some people, oh, no, 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 that's to be a chicken. You know, like, no, we have to stand every time. They fled. They fled to Lystra or Lystra and Derby. But Luke informs us that there they continued to preach the gospel.
0: They pressed on.
1: But that's not all. Not all. If we read the whole chapter, we see that they fled persecution there or in, in Iconium only to meet it again. And there they were left for dead. Paul and Barnabas were left for dead but revived, what did they do? They went back to Iconium. They went back to strengthen the souls of the disciples there. The pattern we're seeing is proclaim, persecution, press on, press on. Is it easy to press on? Not always. Certainly not. In Rwanda, we found that we got through... One, point one, point two, and point three. And we did go on and come to point four by the grace of God. Point four, which we're going to come to in a moment. In Nagishot, we proclaimed, we met opposition. I'm hesitant to call it persecution. Here I am to, to, to speak today. We encounter resistance, I think, rather than persecution. Our pressing on certainly wasn't heroic, There were times when I was, my pulse increased quite a bit. There was a time on my last day in Didinga territory where I was in a room with about three other men, and one of them had a gun, and he was drunk, and he's no uniform, but he was a policeman, and I didn't know that. And if I'd known that, that would would have made me more afraid. And he's playing with this weapon, and he's angry, and he's shouting at us. At, at me and, and another believer. Yeah. It's a challenge sometimes. So, but it wasn't very heroic. And we left somehow shaking the dust off our feet as well. We left and we thought that we'll never be back there again. That's it. Didinga, Nagishot, we're done. We're burnt. We're finished. Well, you never know, do you? We are... Uh, Fiona and I, and I think I could speak for our other team members, we're much like any of you, I think, in this, that we don't like pain. I don't like pain. I'm somehow allergic to it. I like comfort. Really, I do. I don't know about you. Do you like comfort or pain? We don't actually like danger. We like safety and security. We don't even like risk, although Fiona sometimes queries my Um, affinity with risk we actually I think are quite risk averse we don't sorry um, we don't want to miss our grandchildren you know we want to hang out with our grandchildren Um, we want to be part of their lives too yet recently I'm just saying this as a personal illustration of a willingness to press on and you know someone says you should never say never well, we're never going back to Nagishot. We're never going back to those ungrateful Didinga, for example, end of quote. Well, re- recently Fiona and I were on a long phone call to our unit leader, to our boss in South Sudan, and we offered ourselves to go back um, to, to Nagishot again. We offered ourselves as willing to, to go there again, to, to where several others had before us had also tried and left discouraged. Whatever is the reason, our boss thinks now is not the right time. If anyone does ever go back there, even if it is us, now is not the right time. But he was, his spirits were certainly lifted when we raised the matter. But God wants us to be open and wants us to, to press on. So we, Fiona and I, find ourselves open and willing to press on. We want to press on. Lastly, as we come down, the last P. Proclamation starts with P, ends with N, I noticed. Persecution, actually that ends with an N as well. This is not my doing. That's just how the words are spelt. Pressing on, even that ends with an N. I'm saying this to help you remember, actually. The last is passing on. My mum passed on. She died a month ago. But we're talking about a different passing on. To pass on the work, pass on the responsibility for someone over, a handing over. After proclamation, persecution, pressing on, a time came for passing on. Paul and Barnabas, what did they do? The time came when they appointed elders in every church. They carefully selected men to care and to shepherd them. They passed on the leadership. They handed over that leadership and the influence to others and then they moved on. I think we can see the pattern here in chapter 4 if for a world to know the Lord Jesus. In Rwanda, there's, in the church that we started, in that beautiful little village up there under the Virunga mountains, volcanoes, there's a little village called Nyabajeni. Even I don't know if we can even say it, but Nyabajeni. There's a young man called Vadast who, who Fiona and I and at least two other people in the room know and have met. Um, we had the pleasure to work with him for quite a few years. But he's the pastor there today and he's proclaiming. He's facing from time to time persecution or, or at least opposition, let me say, and he's pressing on. And one day he will, by the grace of God, be able to pass on the responsibilities to men and women that he's trained and led, even led to the Lord, some of them. And we are hoping that some of those will be from among the very marginalized, specifically the marginalized people in the community, who've embraced, who've responded to the gospel and have embraced this Lord Jesus and have not just been a, a Sunday Christian, but a a real follower of the Lord Jesus. So that's in Rwanda. We invested in him and in in every sense of the word, to be honest, and he's proven faithful. At the risk of sounding arrogant, we have passed on, we did pass on that leadership to him. And we believe that God handpicked him for the occasion, for the minute even. But that passing on also freed us. Freed up us to be able to move on, and that's how we were able to go to South Sudan, to the kind of um, difficult ending, even that that came eventually there in, in South Sudan for us. Um, but that by passing on in Rwanda meant that we could to that of that little church meant we could we were freed up to move on, and God is able to keep the cycle going. So I think I would just say this, that all of us have a part in making disciples of the Lord Jesus in this crazy fallen world, in this depraved world, in this world that, yeah, you know how nuts it is. For me, I feel like Australia has fallen off the edge of a cliff. It's just like it's destination death almost. It's just horrible how it feels and what I observe. But, you know, there's an answer. There really is an answer and the answer is the Lord Jesus. And we need, he needs to be proclaimed and people need, in the face of persecution, to press on and ultimately one day pass it on. You know, for us, Fiona and I, um, our passion revolves around unreached people groups and how how we can be a part of that and how others can be a part of Engaging them with the gospel, engaging them with this person, the Lord Jesus. So that's where our gift sets fit, I think. That's where our practical skills fit in, I think. As much as we can try, and we must try, ultimately the outcomes aren't our responsibility. You know, I can't make, I can't force even my own children to believe and follow the Lord Jesus. I think if I could, I would have. Perhaps I did. Perhaps I have tried that before. Perhaps. But we can't. The responsibility, that responsibility is not ours. Ours is to proclaim. Ours is to proclaim. Let the persecution come. Let us be a marginalized community again. Let us be willing to be a marginalized community again in a broken and fallen world. Let us press on and one day pass on. Thank you so much, Fellowship Baptist Church, for your care for us, for your partnership in the gospel for the last 12 or so or 13 years. And remember, alone we can go fast or quickly. Together we can go far. Someone remembered. Thank you so much. Should I just leave it now for someone else?